0: Hi folks, this is Ken. Welcome back to Naturally Adventurous. I'm actually joined this week by my friend, Charlie Hesse. Second podcast in a row that we're actually able to do together. We're gonna have a bit of a chat this week about safety. Essentially, how do you assess safety? How do you keep safe? It's a mix of maybe a sort of a philosophical component, but also just a sort of a practical travel advice and sort of how do you become a, a savvy traveler component.
1: There might be a few little stories along the way. <laughs> Maybe a lot. <laughs> sort of illustrating some of the points that we're making. I mean, one of the things is, you know, what, what is safety? I mean, people seem to have quite different definitions of it. I think of safety as your own personal safety. You know, if you have a pickpocket, you know, steal something from me. I wouldn't say that's infringing on my safety. So I, th- I think safety and security, I think, is a sort of cover all that involves your personal safety and also your personal effects, keeping things safe.
0: Yeah, that's a good point. There's lots of sort of threats that are of no actual uh, existential import. (laughs) You can lose some stuff and it's really not gonna hurt you. I also think nothing is completely safe, right? So any kind of evaluation of safety and security has to be on a spectrum from completely safe, which doesn't exist to completely hazardous, which is like you're dead instantly. You know, everything yep. <laughs> entails some risk. And I think in general, things tend to entail less risk than people think they do. Uh, there's something about modern yeah. times where I think people just tend to overestimate risk. So that that's part of the equation.
1: I think the precautions that you can take tend to have a bigger effect than the actual so-called safety of a particular place. And... um and to illustrate that, you know, I obviously lived in Japan for several years um, and I also traveled in South America for for several years and, and on paper, South America is a lot more, you could say dangerous place or a place where you're, you're much more likely to have things stolen from you.
0: Than Japan. Yeah, I, w- I would say like by an order of magnitude or maybe two. So five
1: years. In South America, I don't think I ever had anything stolen. And then in Japan, five years in Japan, I had a couple of bicycles taken and lots of umbrellas. The reason I'm saying this is that I was extremely careful in South America. I was almost almost to the point of paranoia. I was always keeping a very close eye on my things. So I think the the precautions you take, I think, can make a place that's on paper unsafe. You can keep yourself safe in a place like that. And if you're in a very safe place and you don't take any precautions, then you're liable to get into trouble. Yeah,
0: Yes, I totally agree. Here's another little story to illustrate your point. You'll, you'll remember these folks. We, we had some people who came on a Namibia tour with Charlie and I. And prior to doing the trip that we guided, they spent, I think, only about five days on their own. So they rented their own car and traveled around on their own a bit. And they had multiple catastrophes. They had a, a, a big <laughs> uh, vehicle crash. Um, nobody was injured, but the, it was here serious damage to the vehicle. And this was, ba- I think, it was basically due to being unfamiliar with driving on good gravel roads. You know, those are actually yeah. quite hazardous because you go quite fast. But if you it can hit be a quite turn, dusty. yeah, quite dusty. And then also, if you hit it, you're going fast and you hit a turn. You just can't approach the turn the same way you do on tarmac but these folks also were robbed they left a the car parked next to a highway full of i don't know i think they said like a hundred thousand dollars worth of camera gear it was and something it like that 90, so, yeah. Yeah. Now, now this is this was in a country where charlie and i have together probably guided 25 to 30 tours and we've never had the slightest incident in terms of robbery or anything like that and I don't, we've never had a car accident so it's a good example of what are you prepared for or basically do you know what you're doing
1: the irony of that situation was i, I think these folks were trying to save a bit of money by not paying for a guide for those first few days <laughs> which which would in fact, it probably saved them, you know, many tens of thousands of dollars.
0: So, uh, yeah. Yep. <laughs> yep. There, we do offer something, um, <laughs> which, so this is another thing to talk about a little bit, it's just part of the skill set that we have is we're able to go many different places in the world and have some kind of idea how to stay safe, how to be safe ourselves, safe and secure, and also how to keep our, our clients safe and secure. And that's, you know, I, I thought about that a bit in preparation for this episode. That is an unusual skill and it's actually hard to communicate to people. Like I don't even know exactly how to tell people to to go about getting that skill other than to travel a lot. I think a lot of it is just being aware of any dangers uh, or situations.
1: So one example of that is, I often tell people in, in Africa, you know, when one of the more dangerous, well, not dangerous, one of the places you're more likely To have things taken from the car, stolen, would be in places where there are lots of people and one of those could be a gas station. So often in gas stations there's bathrooms and everybody gets out and then heads into the bathroom and people invariably leave their windows open, they leave the door open, they leave their cameras and binoculars just on their seats and they're just very unaware that what they're doing is putting their stuff in danger. I mean I always... Run around. I'm always running around, closing windows and closing doors just to keep everything safe. But that's one situation where you, you could have things stolen. And then other situations like where you're in a national park, which are really some of the safest places you're going to be in. People are paranoid that you know they're asking me, did you did you lock the door? Have you locked the door? So I'm like, I did lock the door. But you know, this is probably the safest place we're going to be on the whole tour. So I think what we have is that we know which places are more likely to, to face certain things happening you know like uh things being taken
0: yeah i i generally find that people let's say wealthy westerners tend to misappraise risks in less developed countries another example of this is hotel rooms yeah people <laughs> are often terrified of being unable to lock their room like when they come to dinner at night, do the do the bird checklist or whatever and socialize and have dinner. They just think if they're unable to lock their room, that that is a major problem and that they just stand a very high chance of being robbed. And the, and that is not the case. I don't know if I should even say this publicly, but I usually don't lock the door of my room. And this and this is in 30 different countries around the world. I, just, I don't even lock my room and I've never had an issue. I've never lost anything. And funnily enough, the places where I've had issues, yeah, I guess maybe once or twice I've lost things. But and and I've I've had a client be robbed. But every single time, it was in one of these fancy modern hotels with these magnetic swipe keys, where basically the cleaning staff has the master keys, and so they you know they they just know they can get into your room. And they're also they also tend to be big, sort of impersonal places. Nobody's really watching out. And it's everybody doesn't know everybody else. And, and this is exactly the kind of environment where like Americans or, or Western Europeans feel very comfortable, right? They, they feel like, oh, mm-hmm. this is, this is pretty yeah. much like the States. This is very safe. This is, this is fine. No, I actually view those as the highest risk hotels because you can't keep your key and every, you know, the, all the, uh, the staff have keys. A lot of small hotels, they don't even have a master key, right? There's one key. So if you have that key in your pocket, there's really no way for anybody to to get into your room. And they also just tend to be very, you know, everybody knows everybody and everybody's just looking out and you're quite safe. I mean, often you're in a remote
1: area with with staff that the lodge has had for a long time, a small number of staff. Nobody else is coming onto that land apart from the people that work there. The people that work there are trusted and have worked there for many years. And often you make a big deal about your door, but then you look at the window and, you know, how easy is it just to sort of just flip a latch on the window and and get in through there? You know, The the door is not the only way into a room. Often the keys in lodges are more for peace of mind of uh, the guests, i too often don't bother locking my room but th- there are other things that i do there's another thing is that often you're sort of staying in a lodge and then you're going out doing birding and then coming back and people often feel that their stuff is safer on them to keep in the vehicle than it would be back in their hotel room and often you're driving somewhere you don't know who's who's out there and you're out birding and then somebody's left like their backpack with their with their money and stuff inside the unguarded vehicle so i think you have to kind of assess these dangers that look you're more likely to have something taken from an unguarded vehicle than you are from your hotel room so i often say to people you don't you don't need it with you today so just leave it back in in your hotel room there's one more thing about hotel rooms is what to leave there I mean, often I, I will keep my passport on me, uh, passport and money belt, but there are certain times where I actually had to leave cash in a hotel room. And one of the things that I find very important is to know exactly how much cash you have because I find that you're much more likely to forget how much money you have than you are of having something taken. So often people will say, oh, you know, I've I've had some money taken, but, you know, how much money did you have there? Maybe you haven't counted. So what I would always do is count my money regularly and then have a piece of paper with exactly how much money in different um, currencies is in there. So if I count it, I know exactly that something's something's been taken.
0: Yeah, so in terms of like practical advice for folks, one thing I would say is if you're carrying a lot of cash with you, as you often do, especially if you're an independent traveler, divide it up, put it in a couple different places, keep it hidden. It's not paranoia, but it's, I think in poor countries this just the sight of a lot of money can maybe tempt people in a way that it wouldn't in wealthier countries yeah that that we find hard to understand yeah yeah and I mean if you if you imagine you're like a cleaning lady in a hotel and there's a stack of cash that represents literally your annual salary you know that that's just an immense temptation and in a way I, I can't even blame people for uh thinking about it's kind of unfair to put somebody in that situation as well really i I find uh, so keep it hidden not ridiculously hidden but divide it up keep it hidden and keep track of how much you have and you know where it is one thing that's i i do this somewhat spottily but it's a good idea is to have some kind of lockable luggage and to keep at least some of your money in that locked portion of the luggage it's not that people can't get into it easily if they want to but it, it's just we have heard stories of, of people losing cash out of bags that weren't lockable and I think it's just it makes it accessible and people can get in there and sort of search around and so that that's, I've always
1: seen it as like a a sliding scale of probability you know mm. the, the you, you have your probability of if you just leave cash lying next to your bed that it will be taken you have a lower probability that it will be taken if you put it inside your luggage, and you have an even lower probability of it having it taken if you have it inside of a locked piece of luggage. <laughs> yep. um, I mean, people could people could take a knife and slice open your luggage, but it's just a much there's much uh, lower probability of that happening. So keep your keep your valuables out of sight, and if you can leave them locked as well away in your room somewhere, then that makes them even safer. I, you know what I don't like is hotel safes. Nope, me neither because yeah I I think that the probability of you forgetting something in the safe
0: is much higher than you having it stolen (laughs) so when I uh, only occasionally use them and when I do I take some kind of object that clearly doesn't belong and I put it on the floor right in front of the door and I just leave it there (laughs) until I'm leaving the hotel and then that that is my like last line of defense to remember oh yeah I've got five grand in the safe, but yeah, I I also don't like them. And, you know, assessing risks. I also think oftentimes hotels have master keys or ways of opening those because clients so often lock themselves out of their own safe. And if you put your money in there, if somebody wants to rob you, they know where the money is. And if you've used the safe, there's also a high probability that you have something that's worth stealing. So again, you know, risk reward... Uh, it doesn't usually add up to being worth using in my assessment. I think an
1: important thing is to know where your things are, have very specific places where you put things, where you put cash, where you keep your passport, where you keep your uh, other things. Because I, I find that often people are their own worst enemy and they they forget that, especially, you know, I mean, I'm getting older now and I'm starting to forget things, you know, but people often do forget where they've put things you know you'll be looking for your glasses and they'll be on your head you know you don't you don't always know where things are but a little short story to illustrate this is i was actually backpacking in india many years ago and one of the guys i was hanging out with he he came out of his room all flustered he said i've been robbed and he said i had my i had my wallet and it was it was next to the window and then i've noticed there was like a little a little tear there was like a sort of a mosquito net in the window and it had been, there was a little gap in it. And he said, I, I know about this. I've heard people, um, people train monkeys and they, you know, and the monkey comes down and steals something from their room and then runs away. And I, I've been robbed. Somebody's robbed me. And then he, he goes to the owner of, it was a small little bed and breakfast. Like, and the, the, the guest house's owner, he says, please check very carefully your luggage. And he goes, no, I know exactly where it was. It was, it was next to my bed and I've been robbed. And he's making a big, a big hoo-ha about this. And the guy was being very calm, you know, the owner, he said, you know, are you sure? Would you please just go and check one more time that it's in your bag? And he said, no, I've been robbed. But he went back in his room and he found this he found wallet inside his bag, in, like inside his, uh, inside his suitcase. He'd just forgotten where he put it. And then he started um, hurling accusations around and, and whatever. So I think <laughs> you've, you've really,
0: really got to know where your stuff is. I think as a traveler, you also need to remember... If you accuse somebody of having robbed you, this could be almost a life and death thing for somebody who's got a job yes. and is on the edge of survival. So, so uh-huh. you need to make that accusation very seriously and without having the slightest doubt in your mind that that of what happened, because for you it's it's probably a bit of cash, for them it may be their livelihood. So, yeah, take it seriously. Yeah, no, that's a that's a good point. I was in in Lima,
1: Peru. And there's some dangerous areas of Lima, or whatever. But I I was staying in a very ritzy area, a very nice area. But there's still a few sketchy characters around. And I was just walking around, and I was just, I kind of stopped to cross the road, and there was a few people around, kind of brushing past me. And then I crossed the road, and I got to the, the other side, and I felt my I felt my my pocket where I keep my wallet. It just all of a sudden felt very um, very light, and I, I thought, oh no, I've been I, I, I thought I'd been, um, I'd been pickpocketed and I was like, oh my God, this is, this is dreadful and, and I was looking around and I just couldn't believe it and I kind of went back and you know, I was really flustered because this had all my credit cards, driver's license, everything and I went back out. I thought that often these pickpockets they hang around the same places and it was I remember the corner that I was on and I went there and there was this really sketchy looking guy on the corner and he looks at me and i kind of glare at him and i just thought to myself that it must be him and i'm i'm glaring at this dude and then he just starts walking away and then he starts running and i'm kind of running after this dude and he jumps on a bus and he's looking through the window and i'm kind of running after him i'm like just making this really scary face at him and he gets away on this bus and i thought ah damn and i just knew it was him um anyway Later that day I went back to the hostel and and I found my wallet underneath my bed.
0: <laughs> just completely freaked out this poor Peruvian but, guy.
1: So this poor Peruvian guy had this like big foreigner just glaring at him like he wanted to you know he was going to be killed <laughs> and he was just terrified. He was just some poor innocent dude. So yeah, yeah, but that just kind of illustrates the point that you know you've got to be you've got to be sure about before i kind of dread to think what would have happened if i caught him you know, have, uh...
0: <laughs> oh man i can just see yeah. you kind of getting him into some kind of choke hold and then like frisking him and yeah. then like the wallet's not there and then like oh man what do i do with this guy now and how do i de-escalate this situation i don't know if i've uh if i've told people on the podcast before but i, I do martial arts
1: i've been doing karate for 30 years at a very high level. So, you know, I I can I can handle it myself. And, you know, I, yeah, so I would have been a little bit scared about what would have, uh, what would have happened there. But yeah, that that, as I said, at the beginning, I hadn't had anything
0: stolen in in South America, but I I thought I had at a point. (laughs) So another point is, it's good to think clearly about what do you really need? What's irreplaceable? What's important? Think about what things you need to enjoy your trip. Think about what things you need to be able to continue your trip. What I usually find is that that's pretty liberating because you realize, oh, I don't actually need that much stuff. And even like you lose some money, you'll be fine. Even, you, I mean, losing a passport is something that just terrifies people. I've lost my passport in a foreign country. I've had clients who lost their passport in a foreign country. It's always fine. You know, it can, it can be a bit of a hassle and can cost you uh, a day or a couple of days. It'll be fine. Like, you know, thinking through the worst that can possibly happen is often quite freeing. And also realizing that like most of this stuff, nah, I'll be fine without it. Um, I think if you're a birder, you really don't wanna lose your binoculars. If you're a photographer, you really don't wanna lose your camera. So those things are, are worth looking after. Most of the stuff we bring with us, not really necessary. If, if it's lost or stolen, <laughs> travel a bit lighter.
1: Did I tell you about a friend of mine? I, w- well, I certainly won't mention his name, but he had his, his binoculars stolen in Peru. And there was a market in Peru that was renowned to sort of sell stolen goods. And he thought, oh, I'm just gonna go down and buy myself a new kind of stolen pair. You know, maybe he'll he'll even find his own ones. But he went in there and he found a little shop with some binoculars and they didn't have what he wanted, but he said, you know, look, I wanna get some, you know, Leica 8x42s uh, top of the range. And the guy was like, "Give me, uh, give me two days." <laughs> Basically, the cog started turning, and I, I guess these things were were sort of uh, stolen to order. Wow! <laughs> and did he get the bins in the end? He got he got a pair of bins. I think he paid five hundred bucks for a sort of two thousand dollar pair of bins, and then yeah, he was he was on his way again. But uh, yeah, obviously,
0: I'm not going to mention his name. You know him. <laughs> wow, that's. Uh... It just gives you some idea why there are uh, illicit economies i guess that's uh, yeah you can see the appeal but uh wow but as bird watchers you know we do carry
1: around a lot of valuable gear and it and it's it's quite stressful just keeping an eye on it the whole time i mean i've i did a you know two and a half year birding backpacking trip around south america and every moment of that time i was just paranoid about having my my stuff taken and it is quite It's quite exhausting, that paranoia. And it's one of the nice things about being on a trip and having people who know about the situation and know how to keep you safe, that you can relax a little bit and enjoy it. But you know, when you're traveling on buses and sleeping on buses, and there's a lot of situations, you're going to face a lot more situations where you're likely to have things taken.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think most people worry way too much about their stuff, especially on a guided birding tour, like what you and I offer. And as you say, I think that's one of the major attractions is just You don't have to worry about that stuff that much. We keep you safe in general. We keep you in safe environments. I mean, I've had people leave all kinds of stuff and I've even left and forgotten stuff and almost always gotten it back. Yeah. But yeah, you're right as an independent traveler, it is, it's can be a bit heavy on your mind, even if you have a clear idea of, okay, what's really important and what's not, it is a major hassle to lose stuff. So. I can tell you a few things about my last trip in uh, in Mozambique and Malawi. we've We've chatted quite a bit about this, but you know safety and security was a big part of that trip because I was traveling completely solo. I had this big pickup truck equipped for camping and I had some some gear, some camera gear obviously and and uh, you know money and passport and all that stuff. But since I was alone, you know, I didn't have a driver to sort of watch the car when I went for a walk anywhere. I, I just constantly had to think about A, the security of the place where I was, and then B, like, how could I best mitigate any potential consequences of being robbed? So I had to think of what was absolutely essential. So, you know, I had a money belt on me at all times with my passport. I actually would have thought about multiple scenarios, like one scenario that wasn't far out at all is actually that I got robbed when I was on foot back in the woods somewhere. I've actually heard stories like that in Mozambique. A a guy I think we both know from South Africa that happened to him in Mozambique. So, you know, that's far from impossible as well. So I don't want to bring absolutely everything with me. I'm obviously going to lose my passport and some cash, but I, I had backup cash which I actually kept in the vehicle for a case like that so I had multiple stashes of money in the car in multiple currencies (laughs) just just ready for all contingencies and I actually thought a lot about like how to hide money you know in a vehicle and in the end what I realized is I had these kind of uh, canvas pockets in the back of the vehicle and the best thing I came up with was like putting money in an empty pocket. So it basically feels like there's nothing there. And the only thing that's there is is money because it's sort of weightless. If somebody kind of touches it, it just seems like there's nothing there. but inside is the money. Like if you if you bury it under a bunch of stuff in a way that's quite obvious. But yeah, anyways, it was uh, I didn't have the slightest issue with any of this, but just constantly <laughs> thinking about it. And then you know, I had multiple layers of like, well, what's essential? What's my backup? I had a sort of a hiding place for my computer in the vehicle. It's the sort of thing, it's not going to be the end of the world if you lose your computer, but it's a major pain, major hassle.
1: Yeah. You know, independent traveling is, off, you know, obviously you've got to pay a lot more attention to your security. If you're doing a self-drive thing, you've got to worry about your vehicle and it being broken into. If you're on public transport, which, you know, a lot of what Ken and I did in our you know earlier years was, was backpacking on public transport. And then often you're in you're in bus stations or train stations or whatever a lot of people around a lot of pickpockets. so you're always having to to keep an eye on your stuff another time i almost got robbed in a bus station in quito and i was uh, often people they don't just work alone they you know they've they work in teams or you know pairs and i had this one guy and he was kind of di- trying to distract me he was saying, uh, oh, senor, oh, you know, he's asking me for change or whatever like that. And another woman came along and she grabbed my small backpack, which had my computer, my camera, my binoculars, my scope, everything in there. And she ran off. And I, I kind of saw, I, as soon as she grabbed the bag, I saw she was quick, but you know, not as quick as me. So I kind of grabbed I kind of ran after her and grabbed her. And she actually dropped the bag and then got away. And I came back. And I saw the guy that was trying to distract me just walking away very calmly. And I, I went up to him and I just grabbed him by the collar and I said, you know, wait a minute. And, um, and then we got the security, we got the police there and I explained the whole situation. And it turned out that these, this pair had been um, working this, this small bus terminal over for, for days and days. Uh, every single day people had been losing stuff. And I finally caught this guy and uh yeah the people the local people they were very happy that this dude had been caught and they were all kind of throwing things at him and kicking him (laughs) and stuff but um yeah it's tough you know when you're on when you're on public transport there's a lot of dangers of having your things
0: things stolen i guess the consequences of being robbed when you're an independent traveler and you're in the middle of nowhere on a bus are actually greater than when you're on a bird tour because on you know on a bird tour you have all kinds of backup you have often a ground agent or someone who can could pick you up and take you to the embassy or, you know, you have people who can sort of lend you money or you can get money wired to you. you just binoculars. Have, yeah, yeah. You, you have immense yeah. capacity for backup plans. Your story from Peru reminds me of, of a story from a friend of mine. <laughs> I I actually reckon just anecdotally based on what I've heard that Peru is probably one of the... Let's say least secure places in the world i i don't think it's dangerous in terms of of life-threatening stuff but i think the the risk of petty crime is pretty high now I, you're welcome to disagree i still haven't been to the country
1: yeah it's i mean i i felt that before i went there but there's a lot of safe places you know basically the smaller the, the more rural place uh, you are the, the better, apart from a little bit of, you know, they had these paramilitaries and, you know, the shining path and things like that, you know, you, you wouldn't want to kind of come across one of those and they're in the, the middle of nowhere, there's, there's still a few stragglers but uh, mo- mostly it's pretty it's pretty safe if you're out, you know, in, uh, you know, in the mountains or in the forest, but in the big cities, Lima for sure, but the better you know it the safer it becomes and I, sure. I I've probably spent A couple of months in Lima, because just because everywhere you go in Peru, you're always coming back through Lima, and I knew the bus, I knew all the bus, the local buses, all the little taxis, how to get around safely, um, how to walk around, which areas you could walk around. So basically, if you know it well, I would say there's more petty crime in Quito than there is in in Lima, like on a per capita thing. There's a lot of pickpocketing. When you're on buses, there's a lot of people have little razor blades and they cut open your. You know, handbags, whatever, and 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 steal things. I had a woman with a razor blade trying to cut my bag once. Everybody knows you keep your your valuables in in the front of you, so you don't have your backpack on your back; you have it on your front. Um, and that's everybody knows that, you know. So it, again, it's down to taking the necessary precautions to keep yourself safe. But uh, I I used to be terrified of Lima, but
0: having spent so much time there, I I, I love the city actually. So a friend of mine told me his perception of the culture in among many folks in Peru is like, if you don't look after your stuff, you just deserve to have it taken from you. It's not, it's not even a robbery. It's just like this person is an idiot and we're taking (laughs) their stuff. Yeah, Which is, I think it's probably a good way of looking at it, but, but he had a pretty crazy story. So he spent a long time in Ecuador, but he was there on a tourist visa and his tourist visa was running out and he needed to basically, shoot across the border into Peru for a couple days before going back into Ecuador. And he was at a bus station in Peru, just in the, you know, near the northern border somewhere. And this guy was a very, very savvy, very careful traveler. And he had his backpack under the bench he was sitting on at the bus station. And he actually had the strap of the backpack like wrapped and tied around his leg. So yep. very, very <laughs> safety that. conscious, right? It's the same kind of thing you or I would have <clears> done, <throat> done, I think, in this situation. Yeah. Someone actually crawled under the bench, cut the strap with a razor blade, and made off with his bag. And, and he didn't notice anything until it was gone. So that was yep. that was pretty serious. And, you know, this is the kind of story that makes you a little bit paranoid.
1: <laughs> I was always on just high alert. Say you're on a bus and you're sleeping. You know, it's quite easy. So, someone just grab your bag and run off with it. But as well as just the sort of taking bags, there's another thing that that I'd heard of and I'd never really encountered face to face which was drugging and I think I finally encountered it in Colombia I was on a long distance bus ride I was sort of I think on my way back to Ecuador overland on a maybe an eight hour bus and you know every two three hours I'll stop at a little cafe and you get a coffee or a drink whatever and this guy bought me a drink he bought he bought me a milkshake I never I didn't know this dude he just kind of super friendly overly friendly and he came up to me trying to talk to me and then he he kind of shoves this drink in my face you know oh i bought you this please drink it please and i was like you must think i'm an absolute idiot you know take it drinking that i almost felt like grabbing it and and sort of shoving it down his throat you know you know you (laughs) drink it but uh i think that does happen as well and and when you're on your own you're, you're vulnerable you know if you've got two or three people together you can all keep an eye on each other but um yeah it's something eh
0: you start exchanging these sorts of stories and it drives you in a direction of paranoia, right? But like the reality <laughs> yeah. is you and I have been so many places in the world, not been as careful as we could have been oftentimes and really come off largely scot-free. I've, you know, we've both had our little, uh-huh. in- like to me, that's that's kind of astounding. It's, a, it's amazing how many places you can go with lots of valuable gear and be fine. And even folks who are not real good at traveling, You know, most of the time, they're fine as well. That's that's pretty amazing. But yeah, a bit of awareness about some of the scenarios in which you could get robbed can go a long way to keeping you secure.
1: I think the more you, you learn about the different scams and stuff, the more you're kind of looking out for them. There was another one in Peru. We were walking along the road. I think I was with my dad at this point. But somebody came along and there was some like... It looked like a bird had sort of defecated on on my dad's clothing and then somebody came along and said oh senor senor and they're trying to clean it off for him and then also at the same time there was a little there was a little kid that came around the side that with this sort of hand in my dad's pocket trying to get his wallet so you had one person throwing like this this bird dirt from above and then another person pretending to wipe it off and then a little kid coming along so they were they're they're working these little teams So it's good to be aware of different scams, not not to get paranoid about them, but just to sort of look out for them. But often, you know, if if people are being overly friendly, you don't know them. You're thinking, you know, you've got to start thinking, what what does this person want?
0: Yeah, it's good to have a well-calibrated sort of radar for what's typical, normal, and what's what's weird behavior. And I will say that that has to be calibrated for each country. You can be way over paranoid in some places um there's there's some countries that are just remarkably safe taiwan is a place i would say like you can you pretty know, Japan, much and singapore those kind of places yeah you can, can very, just pretty much safe. assume that if somebody's super super friendly they're probably just super super friendly I, I don't think i would make the same assumption about peru it doesn't mean that i don't no. like peruvians or something <laughs> but places just have different cultures and and some places have a lot more sort of scams than others but the one thing
1: i will say about south america I would say almost nobody wants to hurt you. Even a thief, they don't really want to hurt you. And I've heard stories of people. Or often in Lima, if you just flag down a a taxi, like a cab in the street, they're sometimes connected with some some bad guys. So this kind of taxi robbery. So this guy will sort of take you where you want to go down a like a little back alley where their friends are waiting with shotguns, you know. And and they sort of uh, rob you. And the the driver's like, oh, sorry, sorry. And then the driver gets a cut, you know. But I actually heard of some backpackers this happened to, and they were robbed, they took everything, and then the robbers, they gave them back some money for their bus fare. They gave them like 10 soles to get back to their hotel. So I do find in South America, there's a lot of, a lot of pickpockets and things like that, but people don't actually want to hurt you. So if you're ever in the situation where somebody's threatening you with a gun or a knife or whatever, just, give, just hand it over and, you, and nothing will happen. It's not the same everywhere in the world, but they they tend to have a little bit more respect for life in South
0: America. So I'll tell you one thing that I almost always do when I'm arriving in a new country, especially if I'm traveling independently and I'm going to be taking taxis or trying to get to a bus station or something. I do a bit of research, particularly Uh just about like getting from the airport to the bus station and finding the right bus and that sort of thing. Because I do think that that is, there's a disproportionate amount of risk then because A, you're new to the country and B, those environments are where there's people trying to prey on people exactly like you. Yeah, and so, you have everything on you. Yeah, say you've just yeah. arrived. You've got all your
1: stuff there. You know, so you're not. Um, yeah,
0: yeah, maybe not even well organized. You sort, you know, you sort of have it in uh-huh. plain organization, but not in backpacking organization or whatever. So, you're very vulnerable in those times. So I'm especially, I dislike taxis. I, I just find yeah. <laughs> taxis in general just to be. There's so many scams and hassles and so much such likelihood of being overcharged. So anytime I anticipate having to take a taxi, like just after arrival, I research it pretty thoroughly to know what prices yeah. are normal and also to know if there are any risks. So I will disproportionately invest in preparing for something like that and really not worry about most of the rest of the trip much, which I think is actually a good allocation of my attention because by yeah. the once you get out of a city into a rural area and you're on like little local transport or, or local hotels, you're, you're quite safe. You're Almost patient, regardless yeah. of where you are in the world, once you're in that setting, you're pretty safe. Talking about sort of taxis and researching taxis, the place that intimidated me the most when it came to taking taxis has been Jakarta, uh, the capital of Indonesia. Oh. When you think Asia, like East Asia, you tend to think you know quite safe and clean and organized and everything. But Jakarta is a bit of a jungle in a lot of ways. And when I, when I got online prior to arriving the first time, I started reading about some of the stuff that happens in taxis and it is crazy. I mean, they literally pick up people and take them and kill them and harvest their organs. Like this happens regularly. <laughs> and so <laughs> not only, so there, there are companies that are, that are reputable uh-huh. that have the reputation for for that but they will also fake those companies they they you know there are fakes of those so so the one of the one of the companies that's viewed as very reliable is bluebird but there are fake bluebirds as well so i mean i actually went uh-huh. down to like how do you recognize a real bluebird taxi as opposed to a fake bluebird taxi you know it's almost it's like literally the jungle right it's like uh like mimicry and uh, entrapment and it it's pretty crazy yeah some parallels there, right? So i mean it really felt like choosing a taxi in Jakarta was a a potentially uh life or death choice. I must say, Ken, I've got a bit of a gripe here. Sorry. Um so Ken
1: did a little trip. He flew into Jakarta and went birding. And I was looking I think I needed to go and renew a visa for Thailand and he said, Oh, you know, you should just go to Java. You know, it's really cheap and you can go up to this this national park nearby. And you can jump on a bus, but I—I I don't. Re- so you gave me a lot of information about how to get to this place and and whatever. But I don't once remember you warning me about uh, organ harvesting.
0: <laughs> uh, just just slipped my mind. I'm glad. Uh, glad your organs are okay. <laughs> but I—I I never felt
1: intimidated or anything. But you know what? I think there was a bus terminal right at the
0: airport, and you could jump. Well, on Well, that's that's the, that's the thing. Yeah. The gen I was yeah. giving you was just how to get directly from the airport to the mountain which I think is all yeah. quite safe and secure but when it, it starts when yeah. you start messing around in Jakarta that's when things right. get a bit dicey
1: but they do they do have a system of like you know things that you order on your phone is it Grab or one of these little uh, yeah uh, there there's
0: internet, a like a like a Uber Uber type thing there's a bunch of them in Indonesia now even I think Bluebird itself I, that company even has its own right. app I travel all over the place in those, and I never once um, had my organs harvested, so
1: uh, <laughs> that's a win.
0: Jakarta is a huge city, and parts of it are very developed, and people live there every day and, and are fine. You know, it's like it's so. In, in some sense, it's a jungle; in some sense, it's it's perfectly okay. But in general, people are very very friendly there. Right? Oh I mean, yeah, the Javans, especially, are incredibly friendly people. All that is true, but then there also may be quite a bit more risk. Entailed in choosing a taxi than people would assume, based on the, yeah. the typical environment in the rest of the world. Because most places in the world, you pick the wrong taxi and you might get some kind of scam where you, you know you end up paying yeah. five times the normal fare. And I, you know, that's not that big of a deal at the end of the day if you have to pay a bit extra because you're a tourist who just arrived in a country. But like some actually ending up dead because you got in the wrong taxi. That's quite a bit of, of risk, even yeah, if it's a very that's very that's small tiny percentage of of taxi rides (laughs) end that way they have this thing especially in lima you were talking about you know
1: if you get robbed then it's kind of your own fault but everybody knows that you must use a known taxi so everybody every little hotel will all have their taxi drivers that they work with their taxistas conocidas or whatever you know they always use a known person you never flag someone down on the street but you were talking about the airport i was staying at a backpackers in lima and I became friends with this one guy. And I said, oh, what are you doing here? He says, oh, I'm just, I'm waiting for a new passport. And what he'd done, he'd arrived, I think it might be his first time in South America. And he just walked out of the airport, flagged down a taxi, threw his bags in, and then his taxi just took off. And he didn't even have his passport on him. I think he put his passport inside his backpack or something like that, threw it in there. And he had no money, no no passport, no no gear everything was taken and he was just left i think somebody lent him a few bucks just to get to the backpacking hostel and then he went to the embassy but i mean he he basically made several big errors there not using an airport taxi and then you know not putting his stuff away and yeah so he he was kind of a bit and he said himself that he felt foolish and it was all his fault kind of thing but
0: I'll tell you a story from India, which this this is the kind of story that would tend to make people paranoid. <laughs> but just keep in mind that this this is sort of thing has happened to me almost never anywhere in the world, but right this is a bad this is a bad, uh, is a bad <clears throat> scene. So I did a, did like a personal little trip up in northeast India and wrapped up the trip next to Manas National Park. and the, the sort of ground agent had booked a nice little guest house there. And then my, the car that I'd used and, and the driver and the local guide actually needed to leave to start another tour, but he arranged a transfer for me to the Guwahati airport. And so the the transfer it was actually kind of arranged by the owners of the guest house. And, oh, we know this guy really well, blah, blah, blah. Okay. Yeah, cool. No worries. <laughs> uh, so I, I pack up prior to leaving and getting ready for international flights and everything. But I was very aware of where I'd put everything i I have a system and how I pack. It's like you said, you want to know, you know, you want to have a place for everything mm-hmm. and know where all your valuable stuff is. So when I'm sort of getting into plane mode, I always, I, I know pretty much where my stuff is, but so when, when the driver showed up to pick me and take me about three hours to the Guwahati airport, there was another dude in the car. And I usually, I'm not a big fan of that just in general, but. Uh, and well he, he introduces him oh, okay so, uh, so sir this is my brother I, I, please is it okay if he comes with me because he you know I, I, I'm gonna come back very late tonight and uh, I need to have company on the road and he, he can help me drive and you know it was kind of plausible that <laughs> this was already the evening yeah. so he'd be dropping me off at sunset and then he had to drive three hours back to this village okay yeah no, no worries uh, he can come with us so I sat in the front seat and then the brother was in the back seat. And then my backpack with my sort of valuable gear was with the brother in the back seat. On the way, I wanted to buy spices. This is something I always do when I'm in <laughs> India. See episode whatever it was on uh, our favorite cuisines in the world. I, I cook lots of Indian yeah. food. And so I, I told the driver I wanted to stop in a, a market uh, and buy spices. Okay, no problem. We stopped at the, in a bigger town, Now I did think quite carefully about the scenario like okay my stuff is in the car but then the brother's right there like this this is actually good it's good the brother's here you know the brother will watch the stuff but then I actually did think about like hmm but he's sitting there with my bag of valuable stuff you know is is there any temptation for him to steal something Uh, I went with not going to worry about it went out of the car for 30 minutes bought a bunch of spices came back to the car drove away heading for Guwahati I got a weird feeling. I don't know exactly why. And I, I decided, all right, I had put my iPod in sort of the top front pocket. And I said, I'm just going to look in that and make sure that iPod is there. Because if somebody was going to steal something, that's what they would steal. And I opened up that pocket, no iPod. <laughs> Thing was gone. <laughs> <laughs> so what do you do in that scenario? You know, this isn't even my driver. This is just a guy that the hotel has arranged. Choke cold, Ken. Choke cold. <laughs> yeah, I th- it, it was tempting. It was it was tempting to just go aggressive, Come westerner. Yeah, you know you're always asking yourself, was I mistaken? Right? You know, I was like ninety nine percent sure I'd put that iPod there, but right. there's that little lingering doubt, and then you know when you start accusing yeah. somebody, <sighs> so you know, I so I, I pull out the bag and I search through the whole thing. iPod is not there, so. I just saw this iPod you know I just packed my bag like an hour ago and I very distinctly remember putting it I I very I certainly saw it and I very distinctly remember putting it in that front top pocket so like I'm I'm pretty sure this guy (laughs) has stolen this iPod but there's another scenario which is that the brother wandered away to go have a chai the car was open and somebody else opened the door opened the most obvious pocket, and then stole the most obvious valuable thing. That's totally possible. And that would definitely mean the brother was a bit negligent in terms of not looking out for my stuff. But then he wouldn't even have known what happened. So all all this is kind of going through my head. I'm thinking, what should I do? You know, I wanted to frisk the guy, right? Like, I wanted, like... (laughs) (laughs) But that's a bit, uh, you can't just start frisking people uh, under normal circumstances. I thought about actually stopping at the police, basically telling the driver, you know, go to the police. We're going to search for this thing. But there's just so many ways that can go wrong as well. You you know, you you have some corrupt police in India. The police there, a lot of them don't even speak much English. You know, they probably speak mostly Assamese. And I, you know, it was just, I could see a whole scenario playing out that was pretty unpleasant in many ways. And I'm also thinking, well, it's just an iPod. It's sort of a $150 electronic device. So I basically just decided I'm not gonna worry about it. So I got to the airport, these guys dropped me off, I really wanted to just punch that brother in the face, really. Because I was, I was, by that point, I was like 99.8% he was sure. sure he'd stolen my iPod. Yeah. But yeah. it's like, what is that going to accomplish? And then the police are going to come running and they're going to be shouting questions. And, you know, it's just like, it's not going to accomplish anything. So, I, you know, I searched through all my stuff again. I even went, I opened my uh, check bag and went all the way through it with a fine tooth comb. Didn't find the thing. It was gone. So... I just got in touch with the ground agent and the hotel and i just told them the whole story and i said you know look into these guys you, you seem to think they were trustworthy but i'm virtually certain they they robbed me uh-huh. and yeah it was a you know definitely left a bad feeling um that uh-huh. that whole scenario but i will say i've trusted people like that a thousand times and 999 times it's been fine and i think that tax of one iPod is probably worth the price of not being constantly totally paranoid with everybody I'm with.
1: It's an interesting topic of discussion though. I think definitely it's foremost in the minds of a lot of people when they're traveling is safety and you know one of the things that really that people often say to me clients often say to me is my family just can't understand why I'm coming here Uh, (laughs) you know why I'm taking such chances and why it's so dangerous but you get these statistics in most dangerous countries in the world you know and and the u.s is in that the u.s is in the, you know on, on murder rates it's in the top 10 most dangerous countries in the world and so south africa but it's not a reason not to go there you've just
0: gotta you've just gotta be careful you have to realize what micro habitat you're in you know i i think an almost yep. ecological uh-huh. approach is often how i think about security maybe that will be our next book ken Oh yeah, <laughs> microhabitats micro. of crime, of <laughs> security <laughs> microhabitats. Yeah. I mean, one, one that I think often the most dangerous places are places that seem very familiar and comfortable and sort of first world, but aren't. Yeah. And when you mention South Africa, I think of the Joburg Airport. And I always tell people that place is a jungle. It is just full of people who are looking to take advantage of you. Because you know it's it's yep. an ecosystem. It's like you're in a huge city with tons of poor people, and that it's just a rich feeding ground for scam artists and thieves and all kinds of stuff. The thing that's most likely to happen in Joburg Airport is,
1: as soon as you come out of the arrivals and say you've got a connecting flight, there's all these very friendly guys, and they're saying, "Oh, you know, um, oh, where are you going? Where are you going to?" Like that, you know. And, and i know these guys and i'm like yeah yeah whatever you know You just kind of walk off but people that arrive they'll say oh I, you know i want to get a flight to cape town and he says oh this way please this way please and you don't know that this guy is going to try and shake you down for a big tip or whatever like that or you know you're just thinking oh these people are very friendly and you get there and they say oh you know you you, you give me 100 dollars or whatever you know and and people just don't know Maybe one dollar would be a more acceptable tip, you know, for some guy showing you the way. But they they kind of just take advantage of yeah of these uh, these people that are very green.
0: Yep, that's the most common thing. I mean, I, people do get robbed all the time. It's not a an existential threat. What I would say about Joburg Airport, it has a veneer of looking very first world, and you feel like you know you could be in the Dallas Airport or in the yeah. London Heathrow. But you need to approach it differently. You need to think like. I'm in a third world city and just apply the same safety measures you would if you were walking around in a less developed city and then you'll be fine. But you just need to keep that awareness. You know, this isn't the kind of issue that should stop anyone from coming to South Africa, but you just need to recognize what kind of zone you're really in.
1: But people in general that come up to you, they're not trying to help you out of the goodness (laughs) of their heart. they They want something out of it. Yep. Um, which is often the case in Africa. You know, it's people are friendly here, but if somebody's trying to help you, they they want something, and and it can be it can be a tip. You give the guy one or two bucks, or five, you know, even five bucks or whatever. But don't you don't need to, you know? They just take advantage because people don't know, you know, how much a regular tip should be. But I mean, the signs there. You don't even need these guys to show you the way. You know, you no,
0: just, no.
1: You follow the
0: signs yourself, Charlie. This re- reminds me of a of a funny story. The first time I was in Thailand, so I, I was living in Africa at that point, and I'd been traveling around mostly Africa for the, last, the previous few years. And as you say, in Africa in general, when people just approach you out of the blue, it's not really out of kindness, especially if you're talking about yeah. big cities and towns and stuff. You know, local people in small villages and stuff can be super friendly, but it's a different scenario. But yeah, in big cities, airports, bus stations, etc., you just are very wary of anybody like that. So I was going to Kao Yai... This big national park that's northeast of bangkok so i i got a nice comfortable air-conditioned bus about three hours up there and as i got out of the bus there was this uh, very friendly young thai woman speaking english who was just kind of uh hello sir you know like can i can i help you <laughs> or you know saying something and i just completely blew her off and just walked straight past her just like i'm out of here and so my mission, yeah. my mission was to rent a, a motorcycle to go up into Kauyai, which which you'd actually recommended I do. Um, good right. good advice. Yeah. <laughs> it turned out to be far more difficult than anticipated. Of course, at that point I spoke zero Thai whatsoever. I'm in a, a sort of, you know, smallish town. People don't speak English. It took me hours to find a motorcycle. And I ended up sort of going online and, and getting the Thai script for, I want to rent a motorcycle and then putting that on my phone and then showing it to people. And then eventually they like pointed me in the right direction, but it, it took ages. Got a motorcycle in the end, went up into the park for a few, a few days, had a great time. It was kind of my first Southeast Asian birding. It was just magical. But uh, yeah. when I came back to catch the, you know, the same little bus station to catch the same bus back to Bangkok, I came to realize that these these friendly young women hanging around the buses were actually posted there by the lo- local tourism council to help <laughs> backpackers who just arrived. <laughs> they, it was just completely charitable. Yeah. Like we need to help out these people who only speak English and we want to help them find their transport and their hotels. And like they didn't have an That's angle hilarious. at all. <laughs> so- <No. laughs> yeah, in Thailand,
1: they don't. You know, your, your people will just help you for nothing.
0: And now I realize that, and so I, I, you know, I would have played it very differently. But,
1: but uh, <laughs>
0: with, with the Africa playbook, I just completely messed that one up. Yeah. could have saved myself hours yeah. of hassle.
1: <laughs> okay, we're going to wrap up now. That's all for this week. Just before we go, we want to make a little announcement that um, from now we're going to change the release date of podcast to Sunday. Our biggest listenership seems to be Monday morning when people are doing a commute, so we're going to do that in time for that. Ken and I were having a think about what possible bird we could play for this week's natural sound and we were thinking maybe we could play one that you could hear when you're in a little bus terminal or when you've just arrived in uh, in South America. So we're going to play one of the commonest birds with a very nice little song in South America called the Rufous Collared Sparrow. But that's all for this week. We may well continue this discussion with a slightly different bent. We're going to talk about living in you know third world countries and you know the security precautions you need to take and uh, and, and that's so not um, traveling so much but rather living in a place
0: well just to slightly set up what will probably be our next episode i will say that your approach to risk when you live somewhere is very different from when you travel somewhere uh, you just have a lot more iterations like a lot more nights in a place and a lot more you know yeah. you, so a place becomes more familiar, but in some sense, there's like a slowly accumulating higher risk of having a problem, a certain kinds of problems that when you live in a place. So you, you have to approach it a bit differently. You know, I often tell people that South Africa is a wonderful place to visit and you're very unlikely to have any uh, security or safety issues as a visitor. Yep. If you live there, I wouldn't say the same thing. So the two scenarios yeah, are quite different. That's true. So. I think uh, it'll be interesting to explore that. Charlie and I have lived in (coughs) several different countries um, with different sort of uh, safety regimens. So that that should make another good chat. Okay, so that's all for this week. And we're going to play out
1: with Rufus Collard Sparrow. We'll see you next week.